0: What's happening football fans? Welcome back to another week of the Gagan Pod where I'm joined by the safest hands in the building Mark Schwarzer, to talk all things from the biggest rivalry in England according to some City up against Liverpool. Do Tottenham have the best front three in world football and time wasting in football we're talking 100 minute matches at the World Cup later this year, surely not We catch up with former Matilda Amy Duggan to talk all things Matildas who play New Zealand twice in the space of a week and the pressure is on in the lead into the World Cup next year. All that and much more coming up on the Gegenpod. Pod. Yes, football fans, welcome to the Gagan Pod. I've got the safest hands in the business, the most cap soccer Mark Schwartzer, joining me all the way from Europe. But we've also got Amy Duggan popping in for a quick chat about our Matildas who are in action once again tonight. Mark,
1: how are you? I'm very well, mate. Um, look, that's us, you and I, holding the fort again. Those are the two. Where are they? Thomas Sorensen. He's away in Bali. Can you believe that? What a what a jolly up. I mean, I'm, I'm hey. listen, not that I go anywhere anytime. Um, but Michael Bridges <laughs> very poor form from that young man, I have to say.
0: Yeah, it's it's no surprise, is it? you footballers just live the life eh? Once you retire, you get the belly and you just hit the town It's just bar after bar, city <laughs> after city, you guys just live the life But look, it wouldn't be the first time we've carried it, shorty. let's be real So I think we'll we'll be just fine on our own i like to kick it off with breaking news here on the pod before we jump into We've got heaps to get to, we know it was a massive weekend in the Premier League There's more football coming up Some breaking news coming out of Poland is that Robert Lewandowski has agreed terms with
1: Barcelona There you go Wow. Um, that, <laughs> that, that, yeah, wow. Um, I, listen, I, I thought he'd be leaving Bayern. I actually really did think he was leaving Bayern because his contract is up. Um, and if Bayern wanted to keep him, they would have kept him, uh, you know, six months ago, they would have signed him, you know, to a new deal. So I was pretty sure he's going to leave, um, which they've obviously got that next person in line. So does that mean Harlan's going to go to Bayern? I wouldn't be surprised if Haaland ends up I mean, at Bayern. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think so. I think so. As, as, as almost sad as it may be for the Bundesliga because that happens so often. I you know. just think, you know, Mina Rayola teased that that could happen a year ago. He said if, if Dortmund didn't, I guess, uh, cooperate with them and what they wanted to do in the transfer market, that he would let him go on a free to buy Munich after his contract. So I, I'm not sure we'll watch that space, but it sounds like it. Now, Lewandowski to Barca, though, what, where does that put Xavi's Barcelona team now in the world rankings, would you say? Are they pushing for Champions Leagues again with that signing?
1: Oh, 100%. He, he is, we know. I mean, look, look at his, just look at his record. I mean, his goal-scoring record. He will score goals anyway. Yeah. So I know I know he's been absolutely phenomenal, as we all know, it, at Bayern. Um, but he'll do it at Barcelona as well. Um it's be interesting to see where that leaves Aubameyang, where, you know, um, Depay. Obviously, he'll be going. I mean, I think he's he's been pushed to the side anyway. Diong's there, so it depends on 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 where players are happy to be. If they're happy to be bit part players, but I can't imagine Lewandowski going to Barcelona and being a bit part player because is he's, he's up there, one of the best players. Yeah, amazing, amazing signing that one. You
0: see Barcelona promoting so much youth, but Xavi's showing he's got that other element to him now. You bring in a player like Lewandowski, that's instant success. Cannot wait to see Barcelona. Look, it's personal terms agreed, Schwarz. We've seen these time and time again. It doesn't mean anything yet at this point, but I think for you as as a German football fan, as a Bundesliga commentator as well, you spend a lot of time working on that league. Is that a bit of a
1: shot to the league or is it time for him to leave? I think it's a a bit of a shock. Again, I mentioned it before, I'm not surprised he left Bayern. And then if he's going to leave Bayern, I I didn't see him going anywhere else in the Bundesliga. So I suppose him leaving the Bundesliga is not a surprise. But it's a big disappointment because what a player he's been. And and I think he's got at least another two, two, three years at that level in the right team. I think at Bayern he could have still done the same thing however Bayern have been stung in the past where they've kept hold of players too long and they've not had the right replacements mm. to follow suit and then the team suffered for it the 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 demand to win the Bundesliga title has slipped because of not having the right players in place to take over when they get rid of players when players retire so i think with Lewandowski i think they've made the decision where and and this is if 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 he well, well he's going to go um they've already got that next person lined up and so like i said i'm i'm gonna say they've got they've got uh harlan uh lined up wow it's
0: going to be huge. And uh, how good for the La Liga now, finally, to have that back? El Clasico now is going to be Lewandowski up against Karim Benzema. You're going to see it a few times a season. The two, for, for most people, believe the two best nines in world football. So we're absolutely buzzing for that. That's awesome. Let's get back to the biggest league in the world. Let's go to the Premier League where we had the top two playing over the weekend. Man City up against Liverpool. I dare say it didn't disappoint. Although it was a draw, it was very entertaining from the first minute. It was a cracking
1: game. shorty what would you make of it? Yeah, unbelievable game to watch. Uh, as a neutral, someone who just watched, wanted to watch a good game of football, we certainly weren't disappointed. Um, th- the only thing I would say is defensively, both sides uncharacteristically were a little bit um, uh, sixes and sevens at times. Just the goals they considered, both sides I-, I was a little bit surprised with. Um, Liverpool obviously hung in, it, hung in there, certainly in that first half. were fortunate not to be further behind and obviously ultimately that's what keeps them in the game um but the way they started the second half was brilliant liverpool came into it in the second half um but yeah no really really great game and you couldn't take your eyes off the game because it was so entertaining
0: Jamie Carragher came out. Uh, you know, they 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 love they love selling some uh, some headlines. Those guys over there, I love them, but they love selling a headline. He said, "I think it was to give a bit of stab to his colleague Gary Neville." said It's the biggest rivalry in English football now, Liverpool against Man City. It is a great game, but you're there, you're on the ground, you experience English football rivalries. This is surely far from the greatest rivalry in English football, right?
1: Yeah. I think it depends on what you mean by the greatest rivalry, on what he's trying to what he's trying to mean by it. I mean, currently, and and certainly over the last mm. probably three seasons, yes, is it the greatest? Full stop. No, because I still think Liverpool, Man United, Man United, Man City, Liverpool, Everton are still huge. Um. So I I I don't I don't see it necessarily being the one of the biggest. Full stop. But in terms of the two best teams and the two best teams for, for a number of seasons now, absolutely.
0: Yeah, it, it does seem like a friendly rivalry. The managers cuddling each other after the yeah. game. It, it feels to me like, you know, Schwarz, if you if you introduce two people, you know, and you go, hey, person A, meet person B, you guys would really get along. And then they just go off and hang out and they don't invite you anymore. That's what Man United must feel like now. It's their two biggest rivals just hanging out on the biggest stage while they languish down in seventh position.
1: <laughs> who, who, who are you talking about?
0: <laughs> Manchester who? United. Who? When Man United watch that game, they're,
1: they're, <laughs> exactly. they're like a million exactly. miles away from it, aren't they? And, and and they can they can watch from the very high seats up in the back of the stand because they're nowhere near it at the moment. Um, <laughs> and and you're right though li- Listen, who I I kind of I, I, it surprises me that I'm saying this, but I I I, I kind of miss the Mourinho rivalry with Wenger uh, Ferguson. You know with with uh, um wenger and 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 the rest you know i just miss those fighting almost the arguments the 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 rivalry between the managers like you said you know with guardiola and and klopp it's too nicey-nicey it really is i mean it's it's great yeah, I and mean, they're two yeah, they're yeah. two brilliant managers and they're two two managers that that have different approaches um, and they're incredibly successful both of them but it's too nice
0: did you guys buy into that when you had Jose and you knew Jose's opinion? Or I don't know about opinion. I'm sure you respected him very much, but you knew Jose's beef with us and Wenger as players. Did you guys buy into that going into Chelsea against Arsenal?
1: It was not. I don't think it was ever. This is going to sound weird. I don't think it was ever personal. Even though it was, there were personal, very personal things said, <laughs> but I don't actually think he was very. I don't think he really meant it personally against Arsene Wenger. It was the rivalry that he wanted to create. He wanted to create an atmosphere. He wanted to uh, show the players how much this game meant and that they were the enemy at all costs. And and the thing was, I I think that's a pretty that's a pretty impressive thing to be be able to do from Mourinho to actually create a rivalry and, and an angry and, a, and an animosity between him and Arsene Wenger because Arsene Wenger is one of the nicest men in the world so to be able to create that rivalry and that type of rivalry you've got to give you've got to give Mourinho credit for that
0: <laughs> as if his job wasn't busy enough managing a football team he even thought about how to sell a narrative he would have been perfect in the UFC Jose Mourinho didn't he?
1: yeah but that's what he did, though. That was that was a big part of his game. A big part of his whole tactics was to create diversions to, cre- you know, to to help spur his players on to create this rivalry and demand on his players that showing that how much he's in on it, how much he's in on it, up to his neck on it, and he wants his players to buy into it and his mm-hmm. players to really go that extra extra yard for him. And 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 they all pretty much always did. Certainly in the early days when he was there.
0: Yeah, I'm a huge fan of his, huge fan of Jose's.
1: I absolutely love it.
0: Um, but this, this fixture here, it has become the highest quality football, probably not just in England, but in the world, man city against Liverpool. We are treated to it again next week because they meet in the FA Cup semi final at Wembley. It's a neutral venue. Liverpool have had the, I guess, the, the, the better record against City when it comes to knockout competitions, although City have been very good in league football. Do you give this one slightly to Liverpool, given that it is a semi-final, that it's knockout, that it could go all the way to penalties?
1: It, well, it certainly could go all the way to penalties, but I um, you know I, I don't know. For some reason, I'm thinking Manchester City, because they were... I thought for a large part of the game, they were so much better than Liverpool the other night. Um, should have been ahead, but and, and by, by considerable margin, but didn't didn't take their chances. Um, mm. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm just... I, I don't know. Liverpool at the moment, th- there seems to be question mark. I thought uh, Fabinho in midfield was a real disappointment to me. Um, I mean, and Jordan Henderson was nowhere near his best. I mean, the goal that, that De Bruyne scored, Fabinho, he, I, I don't know if it was something wrong with him. He didn't even look... He looked like he was walking almost. I mean, De Bruyne had a bit of a turn of pace, but he's not... De Bruyne's not like... He's not like a Raheem Sterling or, or I don't know, um, yeah. uh, Saint Maxima or someone else who could just blow people away in pace, right? So it just look Fabinho. I don't know. I'm not quite sure those two at the moment, Henderson and Fabinho, are quite functioning well enough at the moment. Um, I just think Manchester City in midfield, certainly, you know, with um, when you when you look at their midfield at the moment, they just look so much stronger and so much more formidable at the moment. Mm.
0: It's fascinating to watch two squads full of players that have to win every game they play and it's amazing. They've got to win every game in the league. They've got an FA Cup semi-final. They're both... The job isn't completely done in the Champions League either. You'd say it's slightly easier for Liverpool at home against Benfica but City got to travel to Madrid. That's not an easy place to go. So there's literally huge 90 minutes every single week for them. So this is going to be another fascinating one at Wembley. Chelsea take on Palace in the other one. You can never rule that out either. It's cup but I want to talk about Everton and Manchester United. Everton were at massive risk of relegation. Frank Lampard had a huge win, and that win felt even better when Burnley, a couple of days later, went and lost to Norwich. Did him a huge favour. What did you make of Everton? And probably more importantly, what did you make of Man United in that game?
1: Um, listen, Everton... It was a response that obviously Frank Lampard was desperate for he he demanded he he quoted it in the papers uh, sorry in the press before the game that you know he wanted his players to to respond uh to their to their poor performances recently and they certainly did they certainly showed fight Um, they were certainly one of their better performances this season Um, they certainly needed also Jordan Pickford to be on form to to re-deliver which he did um, which was impressive um, Manchester United uh, the, the, the worst thing about it I think certainly if I would think about you know if I was a Manchester United fan or certainly how ma- a lot of Manchester United fans may think is that it's it's no longer a case of it's Manchester United now we're going to be worried about there's no there's no real aura about them anymore um there's a case of mm. anybody can beat them and they just seem too easy to roll over too easy to 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 out muscle to out fight um and they are where they are because they just they just haven't been good enough and i think a lot of it's to do with personalities i don't think the team's together i don't think the the club is 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 in a great place at the moment um and hasn't been for a number of years i'm stating the obvious i think uh, I, I don't think anything i'm saying is is anything new yeah. um and there's a lot of work to be done at that uh, in that club and, and with that team uh, those squad of players, to get back mm. on track, to get anywhere near Manchester City or mm. Liverpool, if you look at the quality that they yeah. showed. Uh, even Chelsea. Look, I know Chelsea have been poor recently, but they were very good against Southampton. Chelsea have the capability of doing that. They've, yeah. had, they've had a bad couple of months, but other than that, they've got the ability to, I think, to get a go against Manchester City and Liverpool, not quite at their level consistently, but Manchester United are nowhere near it. mm
0: as a player, it's, I always found this is a very interesting part of the season where it's like, okay, if you're fighting for a title, you don't want to play those two. You don't want to play City. You don't want to play Liverpool. You probably don't want to play Spurs or Arsenal at this point. And you probably don't want to play Burnley, Everton and the teams that are playing for relegation. Is this the part in the season where you want to play those Man Uniteds? As ridiculous as it sounds, you want to play those teams that aren't really playing for too much. You'd rather play them than the ones right down the bottom?
1: Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at United, but you know, the thing about United is because they do have players that do have quality, they can turn it on. Yeah, and there's obviously a fear that yeah. that, that quality can go out there and 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 make you know put on a performance, a performance that you would expect from them every week. They just don't deliver it every week, and that's that's part of the issue. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, listen, this time of the season it doesn't matter where you are, who you're playing against. It's always tough. It really is because, of, like you mentioned, time, teams are either playing for relegation, survival, um, for European places, for winning the title. And, and that's where you are right now. And it's always about momentum, about confidence, momentum, which team feels like they're in the, in the right place at the moment, playing good football, getting results, building a platform, building uh, momentum. And, and they're the ones that, that, that generally go on and achieve their targets, achieve their goals. Well, when we look at this table at the moment, we'll talk about Arsenal and Spurs in a second, but about United.
0: United are currently in seventh spot. They're not playing any European football next season as it stands. For a team like United, which look like they're going to bring in a new manager, all reports are saying it's going to be Ten Hag. That seems to be the new name on the lips of everyone in Manchester. Not sure if he's going to want that job. That's the other one. But for United, before they look at new manager, what is the aim to finish this season? They're a while off Champions League. It looks unlikely. Do they want Europa League football? Or do they want a
1: season with a new manager with no European distractions I, I think they would take anything I think they should take anything um, look they're not out of Champions League positions mm. right just yet I mean if you look at Spurs in, in 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 full spot they're six points adrift I know I know look they're running out of games they've got seven games to go but Manchester United is Manchester United so so they they'll still have the mm. objective to try and reach that that Champions League spot at the very least they want to finish in fifth mm. um, because uh, I think anything outside the top four for Manchester United is seen as failure um, and, and they certainly yeah. you know if you look at those group of teams right now I mean Tottenham for me seem pretty pretty uh, nailed-on favorite to, to finish in that position because of that momentum the confidence the style of football the 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 way they're playing football they just look like they're enjoying it and they look so formidable Arsenal have hit a wall. Manchester United, hmm. unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen. West Ham, it's just too much for them, I think, with the squad they've got and Europa League, the, the the stage they're at. I think it's just that little bit too far from the moment. Yeah.
0: Well, United, six points off Spurs, but also plus 12 goal difference. Spurs' goal difference has improved out of sight in the last few weeks, and it could... Very well come down to that at the end of the season. A lot of that is down to their front three, Kane, Son, and Kulisevsky. What an addition he's been. Schwartze, where do those three sit in Fire of the. Uh, when you're talking power rankings in the Premier League, right? Because we had this conversation at Optus the other day, and we want to get your opinion on this. You look at some of the front threes that the league has at the moment, starting with Liverpool's front three. They look unmatched. But where would you rank this Kane, Son, Kulisevsky
1: in the Premier League as a front three? <laughs> It's interesting, isn't it? Because of Kuliseski only coming in in January uh, alongside and I think both of them have been absolutely phenomenal. I think Bentecourt just doesn't get the same sort of recognition because obviously he's more of that defensive-holding midfield player. But you've got to watch him because he is a top, top top-class player. Um, Where do they rank? Mm. Yeah. I mean, currently, they're... As a three, because they're playing every week pretty much, they've got to be... I mean... I'm probably even going to put him second because if you look at Liverpool, obviously their front three in Sane, Ma, uh, sorry, um, Mane and Salah and Jota are most, most of the time, they're their front three. They're mostly playing every week. Manchester City, they, they, they're chopping and changing all yeah. the time. So it's really tough to pick a front three that you say are the most formidable right now. I mean, Phil Foden's phenomenal. We saw a game when he came on the other day. Um, absolutely yeah. brilliant. And 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 I think when you look at Spurs... Kane-Son relationship and what it's been over the years absolutely insane up there with the two of the best around the world really Um, now add Kulaseski to the mix yeah (laughs) it's um, it's it's up there in the top three let's go let's put it that way top three top the top three best three (laughs) top
0: three best three in English football uh it is it has been a weekend of top threes doing work over in the French Liga we saw Messi bag a hat-trick of assists and Neymar scored a hat-trick and Mbappe scored a hat-trick so those three that are under so much criticism all grabbed hat-tricks of their own Messi becomes the first player in that league's history to get two assist hat-tricks the season, I didn't know six hat tricks were a thing, but there you go, it's another little stat, another little record. He's broken. <laughs> I could see you want to say something here, go on, give it to me.
1: Well, some would say about time because he's been way off the pace, hasn't he? And also, a lot of the talk around coming out of, of Paris is about the owners finally having enough of Neymar and saying that yeah. they feel like they've been ripped off with a 200 million transfer fee that they paid for him, let alone what they've paid in wages. Mm. Um, so watch this space. Whether or not Neymar stays at the club, whether or not yeah you know, they look to get rid of him, is that uh, relationship going to go very, very sour very quickly? And the word is that Mbappe may sign a new
0: contract with Paris. After all this speculation, well, the word is that he may stay. But would you, would you like to see? You'd like to see him go, shorty wouldn't you?
1: I, I mean, I've heard that that he yeah they, they've made a, they've made an offer of a two year contract for him, um, phenomenal amount of money in over two okay. years, and. I, the only reason I think that he would do that is because Real Madrid can't afford to keep him, can't can't afford to give him the money that he wants, and mm-hmm. he'll wait another two years before going to Real Madrid because that's his, from from my understanding that's his dream. What what's been been said publicly, it seems to be his dream move, um, but they just don't seem to be in the right place right now financially to deal with it. They've got too many too many players still on their books that they need to get rid of and doesn't look like it's going to happen too soon so to be able to bring in Uh, Mbappe on the money that he wants is going to be possibly at the moment this moment, current moment in time near impossible.
0: Mm. And that will give him two years to get that Champions League that they're after at Paris, we know how bad they want it but you can't can't buy that competition I think there's a few clubs that have proven that, you can't see it happening Uh, so much insecurity with their manager as well he is one of the greatest young talents in football Kylian Mbappe, don't know if we can call him a young talent anymore but talking about young talents there's been plenty of them being unearthed in the Premier League. The newest one that's really stealing the headlines is Drusby Hall. But I wanted to get your opinion on some of the young guns we've seen in the Premier League this season popping up for those other clubs that may not be in and around the title
1: race. Who have been your favourite to watch this season? Um, I'm going to go with Michael Alissi from uh, Crystal Palace. I've been really impressed with him. I, I think he's been absolutely phenomenal. He's 20 years old. Um, I think he's done incredibly well for them. Uh, I know he's out at the moment, injured, but he—he he for me is probably one of. I mean, I was going to say Conor Gallagher, but he—he he has not. He's not had a breakthrough, has he? I mean, he's—he's he's been around for a couple of seasons now, yeah. but in terms of the level that he's gone to, I mean. Yeah. I'd like, I'd like to put him in that breakthrough because he was nowhere near as as, as effective at, at this level at, at West Bromwich Albion last season. So where he is now, I mean, that's another level altogether. So yeah, but I'm going to say, at Al- I think he's been absolutely phenomenal.
0: Yeah, he has been
1: brilliant. They're, they've been brilliant altogether. I mean, they sit in tenth spot, but what a what a great
0: season for Vieira and a, a lot to build on there at Crystal Palace and in an FA Cup semi final. So I'm sure those fans will be very happy. I think for me, I'll be looking at some of these young talent. It was very tough for me to pick anyone. Not necessarily saying best in the league, but I think it's quite remarkable how Anthony Alanga has come to the fold at Manchester United in a squad that is so stacked. That front line is so stacked with players that at the start of the season, if you would have put him, he would have been about eighth or ninth in the pecking order. And yet he seems to be one of the few shining lights of that team. And it's just been United in the last few seasons. Plenty of young talent popping up, but it just feels like no one can really mature in that side.
1: Well, that's obviously the, the effect of the manager, right? Because he, he's only started playing yeah. once Ralph Rennick came into the club, so regularly. So, yeah. obviously, that makes a big difference when you've got a manager who really backs you. Um, and Alanga, you can see that that he's grown in confidence. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's done really well. But again, I, I, nowhere near the finished product, nowhere near the level that United need to be and want to be. So, but he, you know, he, he's certainly a bright few. Uh, a talent for the future. Another player that I didn't mention earlier on is another player also at Palace, but he's not played a lot of games this year. Um, Ebrichi Eze. Um, I thought last season he was absolutely phenomenal. Obviously, change a manager with Vieira, he brought in, um, you know, he brought in a few different players and he's found. Time game time really difficult so at least he's come in and, and done really well and Eze unfortunately is the one that's missed out but they, they've got two phenomenally talented players there yeah and Eze I think soon to be 24 as well he's, he feels like he's been
0: that young talent for a few seasons now he's really got to grab it but um, yeah some great players over there at Palace they're a joy to watch on their day I want to talk about another storyline which has come out doesn't just affect the Premier League affects all football around the world you just don't know how to read into these things Schwartzy FIFA uh, there was a story coming out that they may consider expanding the match to 100 minutes for the Qatar World Cup. I thought this was a joke, right? I disregarded it the first two, three, four times I saw it and then I thought, okay, let me click and read this article. Uh, But yeah, they're talking about expanding the game because statistics showed that in the Premier League, the ball is in play for only about 62% of the 90 minutes. The rest, there's there's more free kicks than ever. The ball goes out more than ever. Corners, there's more substitutions and all the rest. So uh, is this just a complete ridiculous thought to begin with Schwartz or is there is there something there that needs to be addressed in the football match well, with how much the well, ball what, spends out of play yeah,
1: but what's going to happen then you, 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 you lengthen the game to 100 minutes and then we're going to you know then then all of a sudden we may get 64 minutes of uh, football and there'll be still yeah. you know there'll still be the rest of what they'll have probably 8 minutes of wasting more time why don't you just stop the clock every time the ball yeah. goes out when a player goes down when, well, that's, when that's, the players that's, are time wasting that makes sense just stop the clock yeah yeah absolutely then so you, then there's you actually play something genuinely big, 90 minutes
0: that's big well there's that. that that would be pretty long though that's what they're saying schwartz that genuine 90 minutes is like something that footballers have never experienced before that's a massive amount of time for the ball to be in play so what they're trialing in portugal at the moment in an under 23s tournament is 60 minute match two half an hour halves, but the clock stops with every stoppage of play. And they've found that given that percentage that I gave you before, that's roughly how long the ball is in play for. So 60 minutes of action, but literally ball goes out for a throw-in, clock stops back in as soon as the ball's thrown in. It
1: becomes like American sports. Would you like to see that happen? Um, I'm not sure if I want every moment to be stopped, but I certainly want something to be done. It needs Mm -hmm. to change. The time-wasting that goes on is ridiculous. Um, Look, we're getting five substitutions, so why can't you play longer? I mean, we've gone from three to five, right? Mm. So we don't have a pand- We, I mean, there's not a pa- there's no longer officially a pandemic around, so there's no excuses anymore. Now mm. we've got five substitutions. Mm. The Premier League's already said they're doing it from next season onwards. Everyone else has been doing it already. So why not? Why, why can't the players? They're fitter, stronger, quicker than they've ever been before. So why can't they play longer? Mm. And
0: that time-wasting, we've seen it more now than ever. Simeone against Man United, the ball was in play for 11 minutes out of the last half an hour of the game. From the, from the 60th minute on, it was only in play for 11 minutes. Uh, he got the what job done, though. He got through. He got a taste. I'm Well, I don't know, I'm suggesting fantastic gamesmanship from Diego Simeone. Uh, he copped a bit of a taste of his own medicine against Mallorca on the weekend. But you were saying you'd love to see that something needs to be done, Schwartzy, if I wind back to your goal kicks 10 minutes into the game,
1: at Anfield. Yep. <laughs> absolutely. No, because you play played you played. That, play that, that, that was a great
0: example of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you play to the rules. You play to 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 whatever is allowed to be played. The referee is allowing you to play to that level. So, you know, you're always pushing it. And and that's what will continue to happen, right? So, yeah. you know, yeah. that was one of my biggest gripes when I was playing in Asia, when we, when we played in the national team the amount of time wasting that went on. And the referees allowed it because mm. it was a normal thing to do in in Asian football. And, I mean, we, you, mm. you know, you talk about 64 minutes or 62 minutes on average played in the Premier League. I would have said in those in those World Cup qualifiers, some of those games would have been probably less than 50 minutes because of the amount of time wasting mm. that went, went on. So, you know, it, yeah. it's... It's down to the officials, it's down to the regulations. They need to make changes to the game so that, you know, because that's also what turns people off the game. You know, I, I, I find it difficult to watch some games. I, I find it difficult to watch uh, a lot of the La, La, La Liga games because of the amount of time wasting that goes on, the play acting that yeah. goes on. I find it really difficult to watch, um, you know, let alone trying to attract any new any new supporters to the game. That You know, just watch this game and go, hang on, people just drop every moment wasting every moment they possibly can and it's a form of you know delaying tactics some would say it's cheating some would say it's not some would say it's just great gamesmanship some would say it's great tactics and on that day against Liverpool it was unbelievable tactics
0: It was unbelievable tactics, I will say. But I can also say that I remember watching you guys in those Asian qualifiers absolutely spewing at my TV because it looks so frustrating. I can't imagine how it would have been on the pitch playing against some of those teams, just going down every touch. But something needs to be done. I think the tricky part is this whole 90 minutes. Like 90 minutes with the clock stopping would be a very, very long time. Football matches would go for three hours. So I think that it's it's all about, do they shave the time of a football match so that it still kind of finishes within two hours? Because you never know when it's going to finish schwartzy like you look at an nba game basketball in america there's two minutes left and it goes for 12 minutes because of the amount of stoppages
1: yeah so there's a lot to consider well, here, i mean but, they're, uh, they're but let's see. i mean they're allowed timeouts they are allowed timeouts and all sorts of stuff so yeah as long as we don't start to try and go all down that route which i don't want to happen because i don't want the game to be americanized i want the game to, to stay predominantly like it's traditionally been right but certainly Parts of yeah. the game need to be moved, uh, improved upon. Certain rules of the game need to be improved upon. That, that goes. That just goes with, with moving forward with the game and, and the times. What about this one? I saw
0: this is not happening. Don't you worry. Don't stress. But uh, I've seen some of the, the reactions here in Australia to this news has been, oh, why don't you just add this then? Why don't you just add that? One of the ideas was, why don't you add a sin bin for a yellow card? Like... like- like the rugby league over here in Australia. Imagine if a yellow card you no. had to go off for five minutes when you coughed one, shorty. What do you think?
1: No, it's ridiculous. No, it's absolutely ridiculous. Like, I mean, <laughs> look, like, and, and that, that's that's where I go. That's where I go back to the traditions of the game. You know, adhering to certain elements oh, of, course, of the game of that you want to keep in place, right? So, you know, yeah. The, yeah. the 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 refereeing in the game is, an, is is evolved enough, right? And and it's forever yeah. evolving, which it needs to. So therefore. The amount of yellow cards that are given are certainly more frequent than they ever have been uh, over the course of time. Red cards are more frequent because of the amount of yellow cards that are being given. So therefore, you know, you mm. giving sim bends and all that. Nah, no, forget it. Just leave that. Leave that to. to <laughs> no, don't be bin, ridiculous. I just legal, want to wind like, you up. No, nah, don't be ridiculous.
0: Yeah, all
1: don't. that nonsense.
0: I just wanted to wind you up a little bit. There's no chance that's going to happen. But yeah, look, the the increasing time, I don't know. It seems like it's got some traction. I hope we don't see it in the World Cup later this year. But let's see. Plenty of FIFA tournaments coming up, including a Women's World Cup on home soil. Maybe we'll see a bit of a different game come mid-2023. But to talk all things going into the Women's World Cup, Matildas, who have been action twice in the space of a week, we've got Amy Duggan joining us. And with the Matildas back in action tonight, back in Canberra, we've got Amy Duggan joining us, former Matilda, I think, back by popular demand. Everyone loved your appearance last <laughs> week. Amy, how are
2: you? I'm good, Claude. It's a Schwartzy, how are you guys? Very,
0: very good, very thank good. you. Schwartzy's always good, mate. He's living the life. He's jet-setting around yeah. the world. You don't even have to ask him. He's he's just having a great time. But uh, I'm, I'm super I'm-
2: excited. I'm super <laughs> excited for tonight as well. I've made the trip back to Canberra, uh, spending the day here before we head out to the ground. And... Uh, Really excited to see the Matildas back in action tonight Um, and hopefully a few more goals a little earlier in the game.
0: Yeah, your hometown. It must be special to see them back there. I want to ask you firstly, before we go to this game coming up, I want to go to the game last week uh, against New Zealand. There were probably a lot of positives. I felt like from a sports fan, a general Australian sports fan point of view, it was great. There was a good crowd. It was two late goals. It was drama. But from a football fan point of view, were you happy with the performance from the Matildas?
2: So watching purely from a fan perspective with my family on the couch, I was stressing majorly Mm. around the 70-minute mark, waiting for those game changers to come in. And then when they didn't come in, I was sitting there going oh my gosh this is so bad oh Mm. my gosh we're about to lose to New Zealand oh (laughs) my gosh and it wasn't like we weren't creating chances because we were Uh, we just weren't putting them away and so when the first goal came uh, my family and I my daughter especially was jumping around screaming around the lounge room Mm. and then within two minutes they scored the second goal and I literally was on the verge of tears because I was so happy (laughs) Um, and I think that's part of following this team from fan experience is that They really take you on a roller coaster sometimes, but I think that's one of the things that I love about this team. Um, Because if we were winning 10-0 all the time, you know, it'd be great and it'd be entertaining, but it probably wouldn't give you those emotional roller coaster rides that you get with this team. In saying that, uh, the performance, obviously, there's lots to pull apart from it. And we can do that if you want to. But um, I was just so happy to get the two points. But I do think, as I said, there are are a few things to, well, not two points, two goals. But there are some things to pull out of it.
1: Mm.
0: And... I guess when we look at, yeah, you can sit here and talk performances. I thought the most interesting part that I saw from, I guess, a media point of view and, and, and press conference point of view, Tony Gustafson's a man who has split some. He's a bit of a divisive character in the football community, but uh, he came out talking about it was all well and good to beat New Zealand, but he feels as though the quality of the opposition that we're playing isn't high enough. And he, he kind of criticised Australia's record against higher opposition at major tournaments. Do you think yeah. that's a fair assumption?
2: Absolutely, and I think he's a real data-driven coach, uh, and he looked at our results over the past 10 years against top 10 nations, and, you know, the record's not great. The the data Mm -hmm. speaks for itself, uh, which is one of the reasons I think he went out to to draw those top 10 nations in um, to play against them. And, you know, with the squad that we had, uh, with debuting players, obviously those results weren't pretty, and I think, you know, he's been man enough to own that, which I think is wonderful. Um, But it does raise some questions and leave him some areas that the squad as a whole need to work on. Um, I I think he's been pretty clear in his last couple of press conferences that this is the beginning of the next phase. Um, So New Zealand as an opponent, I think, you know, ties in beautifully with the Women's World Cup, ties in wonderfully with the fact um, that we're, you know, I think it's our 50th international against them today. and that rivalry is always there, but as far as quality opposition, I know he would like to hit up a lot more top 10 nations.
0: Okay, well, how does it work? You just mentioned he went out there and uh, kind of put the word out to try and play some top 10 nations. How does it work between, for us, we're, we're not really part of that inner yeah. circle. Is it the FA that organises these games? Does the manager have a say? Does he speak to other managers? How does it work with the organising the football matches?
2: yeah i think it's a lot of things i think we sit down uh, as an organization the organization plans uh, who they'd like to play and the type of teams they'd like to play um, and what those windows are because obviously, you know, that they're in spits and spats throughout the year and then you have to plan ahead and see what tournaments are there and then all of a sudden it comes down also to availability. I think he's been really clear that he's aiming to play as many top ten nations as possible, that he looks at different styles, different tactics, variations, unique oppositions, different physically... Um, attributed uh, nations also. Um, But I think at the end of the day, Claude, in all honesty, it comes down to scheduling and availability.
0: Mm. Okay. Schwartzy, you you were part of a Socceroos team that played two, you've played in many World Cup campaigns, but you've had very different ones. And there was one of them where you did choose to play top nations going into it. And it didn't really go to plan, copped a lot of goals. Is that still a good thing for the team though, to play the best in the world? Or can it be a little bit demoralizing? Would you rather
1: play teams in and around your ranking going into a major tournament? I, I think it's good to play against top top uh, class nations, but the preparation's got to be right. So both of those games, when we played Brazil, we literally had three days to prepare for a game in Brasilia. Um, I, I and th- mm. th- remember the preparation was, was, was uh, chaotic. It was amateurish. We were just there to make up the numbers and that's how we were treated. The facilities were, were, were poor. Everything about it was really poor. Um, and then you're playing against one of the best teams in the world at the time, had only lost a handful of games, you, you, you're right up against it. So, I mean, uh, it's not trying to... That adds to it. I'm not trying to make excuses in terms of the day performance because the day performance wasn't good enough, but all that contributes to it. I can only speak from afar in terms of the next game against France because I wasn't involved or wasn't there. But again, it was a similar thing. Only a, a, number, a limited number of days to prepare for it against, again, one of the best teams in the world. And that is really tough. And, and also there was a lot of changes. A lot of players came in, new faces, um, players that hadn't had a lot of game time, and you're playing against a very well-organized, very well-established, well-classed side. So, and on both occasions, obviously, it went horribly wrong for us. Um, but, but you know, for us as players, as Amy will tell you, we, we don't have a say on who you play. It's whatever the best deal is, whatever the best option is. Mm. Is there a lot of planning involved? I don't know. Certainly for the Socceroos back then, I don't know whether Holger Olsiak had a lot to say in, in terms of who we were playing, when we were playing them, and how much time he had to prepare for them. I don't think he had a lot of say in that.
0: Mm. Okay. Well, I guess for the Matildas, let's zero in on this game here, Amy. It is against New Zealand. It is in your hometown, Canberra. What is the expectation? It's interesting playing two teams in the space of a week. Is it about getting now the, he spoke about narrowing the squad. He's used over 75 players. Now it's about narrowing the squad. Or would you like to see a few new faces get game time tonight?
2: I think you'll see a fairly consistent lineup hit the park tonight. Um, in his pre-press conference yesterday, Tony mentioned that they've got 100% availability, so everyone's come out unscathed, which is a real positive. And, and everyone should hit the park. He talked about their data on the field and why we didn't see changes in the first game, and, and he puts that down to Sports Science Medicine, saying that, um, you know, the girls didn't work as hard in that game because they controlled the tempo, um, they controlled the ball. Um, I thought there was some beautiful combination play, and what was really missing in that game was conversion. And at the end of the day, you know, we've got to be realistic that's what counts in games. When we got caught in the Asian Cup, exactly the same. You can dominate possession. You can play beautiful football. You can create as many chances as you like. But if you're not putting them in the back of the net, it doesn't count. So, you know, that's what I want to see tonight. I want to see this team be more ruthless. I want to see when those chances are there that we really take them. And I think um, I think they're building towards that. And I actually think the two goals in extra time will be a massive confidence booster for this team, actually putting a couple away. And I'm hoping that it opens the floodgates a little bit. So, I think you'll come out with a fairly standard lineup, maybe one change, maybe two, but I think a fairly standard lineup. And I think, unless we bang away some goals, you probably won't see a lot of changes um, until that happens. I would like to see some of those fringe players get some minutes. Um, I've mentioned that before. Um, but I think the one thing I hope we have learned from is those vulnerabilities, especially in defense. We've talked about it time and time again, and I think people blame players, but I don't actually think it's players. I think it's a it's more a systemic thing that also the soccer is exactly the same. If you think about it, there's question marks a little bit over-focused because At the top level, and Schwartz, you will know this, if you lose focus for, you know, just 30 seconds against those top, top nations, it can cost you and it can cost you dearly. And that can be the game. It is hard to maintain. And I think for some of our defenders um, across the board, Matildas and Socceroos, we're playing with wonderful nations across the world um, in top teams that probably don't get tested defensively all the time and as a defender you really do need you do you do need that they're given a bit more freedom and they come forward and, and we see that a lot you know Ellie's wonderful when she comes forward so Steph Catley on the wing we see that with our with our Socceroos the same But there are times where we actually need to think defensively what if, what if, what if all the time so that we're not um, getting those balls over the top or getting caught in behind in those pockets because we're thinking about attacking not really what our number one job is. And that's probably the one thing I hope that we take out of both the Asian Cup and um, the game that we played against New Zealand the other night. Although despite despite what the goalkeeper Green says, I still think it was a cross.
1: <laughs> uh, Amy, you talk about you mentioned earlier on about um, Swazi,
2: you're in. I'm in. in. I'm in
1: about uh, New Zealand, and they're ranked 23rd in the world, and obviously uh, hosting nation as well for the World Cup next year. Is the rivalry that big between Australia and New Zealand uh, with in the women's game? So um, we know obviously it's like a derby, right? So is it that big? Is that one of the reasons why that also played a part in yeah. the, the result, um, the end, the score in the end? And what do the girls need to do to change it? Um, are we over line on Sam Kerr because she's like obviously world class?
2: Well, I think you can look at that first goal that we scored against New Zealand in this last game, and Sam had actually dropped right into the midfield, and it was the midfield players that came through and created that chance and scored in the hole that she left. And I think that's, you know, it's a really valuable point to have have a look at. The rivalry against New Zealand, I think it's just big because we've played against them so many times because a lot of their players are so familiar to us playing in the A-League women's competition. Um, you never like to lose to your trans-Tasman rivals across the ditch in any sport. And football does not want to become the first one that makes that a regular thing. We'll leave that for Rugby Union at the moment. Um, we, yeah, we don't want to be the first one to have that happen to us regularly. But I, but in saying that, I do think New Zealand thinks they have a chance Against us, um, and I think the tight results and the way that they grind out, um, they grind out defensive moments like you know, S and the goalkeeper was fantastic the other night, but Claudia Bunge was great too. And um, some of the defensive moments were were wonderful because they were under the pump time and time and time again and just kept coming up with the goods. And, you know, they almost snatched it. And I do think that they think they can win. So they probably play out of their skin against us. And in all honesty, I'd like to see us, as I said, be more ruthless. I hope we're not taking our our finger off the, uh, you know, our foot off the pedal there.
1: Um, And tell us, Amy Anna Green's goal. She didn't mean it, did she?
2: Well, I think I, I think I just said that, didn't I? How cheeky! Um, I think when they interviewed. Did you, it, you say it? Slapped. Sorry, I wasn't listening. Yeah, no, I think it was, I, I think it was a shot that turned into a, uh, that came off the outside of her boot. Uh, sorry, I think it was a cross that came off the outside of her boot because it had that outward swirl in it to go over the goalkeeper. Lydia looked like she knew where the cross was coming and then obviously <laughs> it went overhead. But you tell me, Schwarz, you, because, um, you know, standing in goals, watching that come in, would you expect a shot from there? <laughs>
1: um no yes no see the bounce of the ball (laughs) isn't it I I also look at it and go Ellie Carpenter she didn't close it down she she just jogged she just gave it too much space and thought she's not going to do anything from there I'll be fine so I look at Ellie Carpenter so I would have been upset with her not defending close enough not closing down putting enough pressure on her the when the ball's bouncing like that you've always got to expect the unexpected
2: yeah yeah, but no, I, I I think it was a cross that has gone in, Schwartzy, I will say that, but I did find it quite entertaining in the post-game uh, interview when she was interviewed on the sideline and they they asked her if it was a shot or a cross. Uh, she told us we were quite rude to ask that question, so she thinks it's a shot.
0: How Australian of both of you. I think she's had a pop and she's done a fantastic job. That's a great finish, all right? Give respect where where it's due. Um, it counted. It counted. I think there was some, you know, mykon technique there. Remember a few World Cups back. Um, I want to talk to you, Amy, because I know we can jump into a rabbit hole with this one. But I just want to get your opinion because I was thinking about it last week. No one better to ask. When I've got you here, I need to make the most of it, right? And uh, we saw the some of the Scandinavian leagues kick off in the last couple of weeks. And there's so many of the girls are in action in Denmark and in Sweden. Remy Simpson has just gone over and signed there. We know that's influenced by the manager. He's kind of said in the past that you've got to go over there for your best chance to play for the Matildas. I just want to get yeah, let's
2: put that let's put that in context though when we when we talk about that,
0: that okay. statement
2: because yep. i think it was taken a little bit out of context in fact and i think uh you know a league women's probably copped a bad rap out of that yeah. When i don't think that was the intent i think the intent was play here in Australia, if that's where you're comfortable mm. in the A-League women's, but when you're finished your season, you need to be continuing high quality games against great opposition mm. um, in what is, you know, our MPL or, or our A-League women's off season. And I think that's where the intention was. It's like, Wherever you are, you need to be playing top quality opposition all year round. And quite frankly, the NPL is just not quite at that level yet. Yeah. So he, you know, he's encouraging players that want to continue to be around the Matilda squad to head overseas after the A-League women's, which, as you said, a lot of them have done. But there are a few that have chosen not to as well.
0: Um, but I think just when I look at it, I, I get a bit worried because I've always been one of the fact that when I look at the men's team, I think when you rely too much on exporting, and when you rely on those leagues, it's all well and good when it's the Premier League and the Serie A, as it is now for the women. But it, then when it starts to become the second and third tier leagues in Europe, you're left with the scraps and you'd rather have a better home base, right? Do you, are, you, are you a bit worried of the future of the Matildas seeing now everyone's going overseas and like, surely no, it's time because- to look at our own league?
2: Oh, I think that's a two-fold question and a two-pronged outcome, Claude. Mm. Absolutely, it's time to look at our league. I've been um, very clear on advocating for a full home-and-away season um, in, here in Australia for a long time. We're bringing yeah. more teams in. Um, we've brought Wellington in, obviously. There's talk of two more in the in, in the coming years to, to even it out even further. The more minutes you can get on the paddock, um, the better player you're going to be. It's just plain and simple. Right. Um and you know we've we've talked about data in the performance gap and it's in that 2250 minute mark we want all of our players to be hitting every single season that's 25 to 30 games um but you're right the quality that you're playing in needs to be of of a certain level and um and ensuring that you're getting that game time that's the other thing because you can go to a top class Um, Team and and sit on the bench. And again, we've seen that with our Socceroos too, when you're not getting the minutes on the park, you're you're training in a wonderful space. And I guess that's the trade-off that you have to choose. Do you want to be in a a wonderful training environment where you're training all the time, but you're not getting the most minutes? Or are you prepared to compromise a little bit less of a training environment, but ensure that you're getting better quality uh, and more minutes all the time? And I guess as a player, that's the balance that you have to find. Mm -hmm. Schwartzie.
1: I mean, I find it really difficult to get my head around the fact that you girls had to, you have to travel so much, play, you play for two different teams a, a year, calendar yeah. year. I mean, you look at, you know, the girl, you, you, your, your careers and some of the girls have like played for 18 teams in 12 years. Like, how hard is that? That must be so difficult to like, you know, you play literally a couple of months, you pick your, pack, your bags up and off you go again.
2: Yeah, I, I didn't get that privilege for very long, Schwartzie. Only a couple of years. So um, that's probably a, a question better aimed at today's, you know, current player. But in saying that, we have seen that shift. So I want to talk about the move overseas because when our, you know, top ten or eleven players first started moving overseas, um, they brought back that experience and that exposure, and our world ranking and our results climbed, I think, off the back of that um, as well. So that there's positives in it. Um, when you're playing all year round, you've got to somehow in there find some downtime. I think that's the key to this: is when you're getting that downtime. Um, and there were some big outliers where, you know, playing the A-League women and then going straight to the NWSL in America um, was meaning players were literally playing 12 months of the year without a break, and and that's not sustainable for you know year on year on year, and um, you can expect to see some injuries out of that the lineup of Australia playing in summer and you know Europe playing in winter and then obviously um, depending on where you choose to play because Germany has a completely different season alignment as well so it's hard to match up Claudes, and I think that brings more back to your point about where do they go because when they've been encouraged to go overseas on short notice you sometimes can't crack the top league yeah. um, in the world because they, they sign their players so far in advance do you know what I mean yeah. so you've also got limited options and again that comes down to a player choosing what's best for them but yeah Schwarz you're right playing 12 months a year flying backwards and forwards look they are getting used to it. You know, the girls talked about that. There was some delays getting into camp. In fact, I think the team only had one full session together before the, the, the first New Zealand international. They've now had three days together. So um, I would assume that that's only gonna work in our favor as well. But um, yeah, flying back and forth to Australia of all places, we're so geographically separated from <laughs> the rest of the world, which makes us such a great place to live, yeah. but as a footballer it makes things really tough.
0: Definitely, definitely. Well, I mean, let's hope that helps us. The extra preparation. They're in Canberra. Amy, are you getting down to the game at all? Are you managing? Absolutely. To get the- I'm
2: taking my whole family. I've got a tribe with me tonight. We'll all be dressed up. <laughs> we'll be screaming. And all I'm asking for, please, is more goals, 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 conversion tonight. Let's, conversion.
0: L- let's get a score prediction then, so we can look back and laugh at how wrong we were. Amy, <sighs> score prediction.
2: I'd love it to be four.
0: Four. Four nil. Yep just complete Mille. one I've way traffic clean
2: sheets. I love yeah. clean sheets
1: yeah we need a clean hopefully
2: sheet hopefully aligns with me
1: there shorty <laughs> score prediction i'm going 5 5 nil.
0: ooh <laughs> oof tight okay all right well i'm going i'm going to try and give new zealand a little bit of respect here i'm going to go with a 3-1 3-1 australia I think New Zealand get on the score sheet again, but Australia too good for them. Should be a great game either way. We're all tipping an Australia win and I think the country expects nothing less, but that's a good thing because we hold them in such high regard. So looking forward to it, Amy. Enjoy the game with your family and thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks, guys.
0: John Aloisi, can we replicate those scenes from
1: 2006? People want more and to to replicate that, we need to get through the group stages and go even further so then we're creating history.
0: I remember walking into the stadium in Stuttgart and having a powerful sense of the history of that moment.
1: Now we are underway in Stuttgart.
0: How incredible is this sport? that at, on this one stage it can tell such a powerful unique incredible story its potential where it could go if it could shed one or two things and embrace one or two others are just so much about
1: football says so much about australia and vice versa the amount of people dancing on the street at federation square going off and and you know just the people uh, having fun we realized then that actually, this could unite a country. The hospitality, the friendliness, the sense of community, and all of that, that all comes back to football. It's a community. And, you know,
2: parts of Australia, white Australia, there, there's, there, there never has been a community.
1: It's completely lacking. And I think that's when we'll see that we are changing people's opinion, that we're not just, a, 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 you know, a sport that, you know, yes, it's well-liked here in Australia, but it's not the number one sport. Until then, I don't know if we are going to replicate that. Football belongs. Nine matches that explain Australia.
0: And a big thanks to Amy for joining us on that one. We're supporting our Matildas tonight. Hopefully plenty of goals and a smooth run into the World Cup next year. Schwarty... It's around that time where we look forward to the weekend coming up. And we've already spoken about the fact that we've got FA Cup weekend. So the title race takes a little bit of a break. But Tottenham in action at home against Brighton. Now, we're looking at that one. Arsenal travel to Southampton, a Southampton side that were completely battered on the weekend. This Tottenham and this Arsenal, when you look at it, what is the difference between the two of them? And how much
1: does the manager play into it? And who are you tipping to finish fourth? Um, I'm going to start from your last question, I'm, I'm tipping Tottenham to finish fourth. Uh, how much does the managers yeah. play a part? Certainly, with Conte, he's had a huge influence um, on and off the pitch. So, yeah. off the pitch, certainly in January, bringing Kuliseski and Ben and that in, that was absolutely enormous. The quality of players, the type of players and personalities. So often we see really good players come from different leagues and really find it difficult to settle in. They've just gone in seamlessly. They've been yeah. brilliant. Um, and also the deals in place, they, they, they seem to be... I mean, I think I think something like twenty five million to make it permanent, um, and is yeah. something similar, which is remarkable. Um, I think Kulusevski is only twenty one as well, so what a, what a signing that would be. So, um, and again, back to that fa- th- that word that we all love to say is as, as as footballers or ex footballers is momentum, confidence, momentum. Yeah. Um, Spurs are absolutely flying, as you've written in your notes. Spurs are flying. And uh, Son, <laughs> Kane, Kulaseski, you know, they at the moment they look, I wouldn't say unstoppable, but they just look like they are in prime position to finish in fourth play. And, and Arsenal, I, I, I actually always thought that Arsenal were only a couple of bad results away from nosediving a bit because I didn't think mm. they had enough to finish in that top four. Mm. Well... It is.
0: It looks like a straightforward weekend in the Premier League. I don't think you can ever say that about the Premier League, but it looks like the results should be fairly straightforward this weekend. But when we look at the run home for Arsenal, they've still got to travel to Chelsea. They've got to host Man United. They've got West Ham, Leeds, Tottenham, Newcastle, and Everton on the final day, which could potentially be fighting for relegation. It seems like a a much harder run. As a player, did you used to look at your runs home when you were kind of calculating mathematically? Did you look at your last five, six, seven games, or was it always just one week at a time?
1: You, I mean, I certainly looked ahead, um, but it was literally week to week, okay, you know, because the objectives yeah. possibly change or, or the realistic objectives possibly change by each result, right? So so you've got to take that into consideration yeah. as well. I mean, for Spurs for Spurs anyway, and Arsenal, it's going to go down to, well, it, it certain, I mean, I'm not going to say certainly get down to the wire. It won't necessarily get down to the wire because Arsenal are not in a great place right now because of bad results Mm. and bad performances, and that's certainly knocked them about. Um, And you're right. I think they've got a slightly more difficult run-in. And add to the fact they are down in confidence and not playing well, so it makes it a little bit more difficult. doesn't matter who you're playing against if you're struggling. Mm. But let's not underestimate. Tottenham have got uh, Brighton this weekend. Brighton were brilliant against Arsenal. Absolutely brilliant. So... What we all seem to talk about is how bad Arsenal were, but actually Brighton were brilliant. So and Brighton thoroughly deserved to win it against was. Arsenal. So it's not a foregone conclusion for Tottenham to win against Brighton on the weekend. Mm, Definitely.
0: Well, we watch this space very closely. That one's on at a great time for our audiences here on Optus Sport. That's the early kickoff. Um, What about City and against Liverpool going now for this title? City have the advantage of one point in this title race. They've played each other now. That's out of the way. The big day, the the big reckoning that everyone was talking about has passed. Now it's all about the remaining fixtures. On paper, City's look a lot easier than Liverpool's. But
1: is that much to read into at this point, Schwartzy? I think it's got to do with how far both teams go in the, the, the competitions they're left in so Champions yeah. League FA Cup now who wins on the weekend I think a lot of that could play mm. a part they've both got obviously big squads I think City still possibly slightly better bigger you know over course of the whole squad however both of them it depends on how they manage their remaining games um, the worry I think for Liverpool slightly is Seller. he's just okay. a little bit off um, yep. whereas City just seem a little bit m- more fluid, a little bit more in confidence and playing a little bit better football. Um, and obviously City have the slight advantage. But again, I'll go back to it. It, it depends on how far they go in the la- in the various competitions they're still in as to whether as in, or not... The further they go,
0: the further they go, the more at risk they are, you'd say?
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: Because... Because of the the, the importance of the games. Because we saw Liverpool do quite well that year; that they went to the Champions League final, they pushed City all the way to the end, lost by one point. So maybe you've seen teams that are fighting on two, three fronts, and and they're just playing a final every single three days. It seems to give them that momentum, that special word, that that word of the day. But let's see; it's gonna it's gonna be fascinating right down to the wire. You'd say the pressures on City here, looking at those fixtures that they've got, mm. look a little easier than Liverpool's. You can never call that. Quick trip around Europe, Schwartzy in the Serie. I wanted to get your your word on this one because no one seems to want it at the moment. Milan dropped Points, Napoli drop points, Juve drop points into the only one winning out of the top four. Uh Napoli lost again at home. Now, if the sedia was away only, they'd be top by a country mile. If the sedia was played only considering home games, Napoli would be seventh. Now, they have got an intimidating atmosphere at the San Paolo, it's known for that. Can it ever be the fact that in a football team you bottle it at home because of the pressure in front of your home fans? Is that a thing?
1: Yeah, definitely. De- definitely, because the demand's so much greater at home, and 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 Napoli. I've been fortunate enough to be there, and certainly in Champions League games, and it's it's hostile, it's formidable. Um, everything about it. it. it's, and players feel it, players know it, and I think for you know we all know Napoli. When was the last time they won won the uh, the Serie A, right? So yeah. they know the pressure is on massively. Um, so they they will. They're obviously going at home, and they're they're almost. Falling within themselves a little bit. Mm. They're, they're, they're mm. caving in on the pressure at the moment. Yeah. It's tough. Oh, it is. It's really tough um, to play. We'll
0: watch that space as well because you just never know who's going to win that one. Inter now back in with a sniff. Even Roma making a late charge for the top four. Jose Mourinho, your old gaffer. Last one I want to ask you about is the Bundesliga. What a Berlin derby, Schwarz. Union absolutely battering Hertha at the Olympia Stadion. That's been the story of the last few years. They're not the little brother anymore. What is going on at Hertha? Are they doomed? Yeah, I think they
1: are i really do um i no, it's no surprise to be fair i i'm absolutely not surprised one bit that uh, union berlin beat them um i'm not even surprised they beat them so heavily i mean i was there a couple of weeks ago watching them live play against eintracht frankfurt mm-hmm. and they lost at home for one against andre yeah. frankfurt halter was so bad um i watched the second half against union berlin um the other day and again talk about home mm-hmm. uh, the pressure playing at home the fans um, when I was there against Eintracht Frankfurt I watched the players after the game and in Germany it's very much a big big part the players have to go to their own supporters their hardcore supporters and, and, and basically mm. stand trial in front of their own fans there and then at the end of the game I mean they had things thrown at them drinks thrown at them they were abused some players went up to the fans and tried to talk yeah. to them others stayed well away from it mm. and it, it plays on them and and it affects them, probably even leaving the stadium. They probably found it really difficult to get out of the stadium. That wouldn't have been easy for them. So um, that I think for for a lot of those to players is just a little bit too much. And the Felix Mugger, you know what? His first reaction was a good was a win. Since then they've 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 struggled, and I I don't think he's the answer. I don't think they're going to stay up. Um, it is still close. There's still four teams in it. Oh, sorry, three teams in it really because Croatia are gone. But between Houter, Bielefeld and Stuttgart, any three any one of those or any two of those three, um, will be in trouble. Um, but I can see how being the one that goes straight down whereas the sixteenth spot is a playoff and I think that'll be between Stuttgart or Bielefeldt.
0: Jeez, a credit to the Bundesliga with only 18 teams because there's huge names that could get relegated every year. Stuttgart, you're talking Hertha Berlin. You look at who's already down there: is
1: Hamburg down there and Werder Bremen. It's it's unbelievable. Well, it's phenomenal. the 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 second Bundesliga is is actually a really good league to watch at the moment. Um, mm. There's so much going on. If it, I mean, if you just look at the the top six, it's Schalke, mm. Werder Bremen, Sampoli, Darmstadt, yeah. which are the two. Probably two anomalies, right? Then you got Nuremberg, yeah. humburg absolutely yeah. enormous Huge. clubs. And then not too far down there, you know, there's Karlsruhe, who were all ex-ex uh, Bundesliga sides. Hansa Rostock was there for a while. Fortuna Dusseldorf up and down. Hanover '96 was up and down. But mm. if you look at those top teams there, I mean, Schalke and Bremen at the moment are top two. So unfortunately, yeah. um, you know, at the moment, some poles find themselves in the playoff position.
0: Mm. That would be interesting. I mean,
1: we want to see Jackson Irvine up, but at the
0: same time, they are two giants of German football, and I guess we can't wait to see them back in the Bundesliga. Great fan bases as well, but lots to look forward to all around Europe. Schwarzi, before I let you go, super quick fire ones in the Champions League. Bayern Munich, Villarreal, will they turn it around at home? Yes, they will. Bayern will be too strong. Yeah. You think so? You think so? But it'd be interesting to see this news about Lewandowski very timely, very timely out of Poland. I wonder if that's to try shake up the camp. Real Madrid, Chelsea. Chelsea travel to Madrid. It's not the first time they go there. They know the place quite well, but it's a massive
1: task. Can they do it? They can do it, but I don't think they will. I, I think Real Madrid three one up. I think um, look as, as well as as well as Chelsea played against Southampton. Southampton, Sam, Real Madrid. Mm. Actually, Real, Real Madrid surprised me how well they played at Stamford Bridge. I have to say. Mm. Yeah, they were very good. blitzing first half, looks like they're through. So according to Marky
0: Schwartz, Bayern Munich are through, Real Madrid would be through. Then to take them on, Liverpool surely have got the job done against Benfica. 3-1 yeah. up. Yeah, I think yeah. so,
1: yeah. Yeah, I think I think they're, they're through already. But the tighter game on Thursday
0: will be Atletico Madrid at home to Man City. They didn't have a shot at the Etihad, but they'll be happy to walk away
1: only one goal
0: down. Are they a chance here?
1: They are. I think I mean, the only thing is Atletico Madrid's home record in the Champions League. I don't think they've won in their last seven home games in the Champions League, so that mm. is a is a worry. That that's a big worry, actually. Yeah. However, knockout stage, Manchester City, Atletico Madrid. You're, you're a brave person if you bet against Atletico Madrid. It doesn't matter who they're playing against. Yeah, yeah, and this yeah, this is that city, right? I mean, if it was
0: Liverpool. If it was maybe maybe Chelsea at this point, 1-0 up at Atletico, you'd back them. But City, it's like we haven't seen enough of it in European competitions. So you always question it at this point. But uh, it's going to be very, very interesting. Plenty of football each and every day, as it always is. And we'll be back next week as well to try and do our best to wrap it all up. Probably look back at our predictions and laugh, potentially, Schwartzy. But there's so much going on. I look forward to it. Hopefully, we'll be joined by someone else by then, if the guys want to turn up next time. Oh, who knows, mate? Anything's possible with that lot. Anything's possible, but that's why we love them at the same time, guys. Thanks so much for joining us on the Gagan Pod. Enjoy your week of football, and we'll see you next Tuesday for more.